not another film podcast. We want to thank you for bearing with us while we've had a couple of weeks off. That's just because we could not get everyone all together to how record. How dare they travel? I know. How dare we have lives? No. 13 episodes in and we're taking a little bit of a break. You but mean that you don't make your entire living off of this podcast yet, Ian? One would think I don't make anything off of this podcast, Oh my Lauren. god, podcasting doesn't make you so much money? But I wish it did, because then I could <laughs> stay in pajamas all day. <laughs> you could afford to see a movie without using Movie, movie Pass. pass. <laughs> without using Movie Pass to get a ticket to a movie that I did not go see, so I could sneak into the IMAX movie of <laughs> this one. Yeah, fun fact, we went to see this movie today, uh, which is the day that may live in infamy, is the day that... Movie Pass ran out of money. I don't think that'll live in infamy. They run out of money like every two days. Yeah, but they ran out of money to the extent where their service shut down. It's basically like they shut off the electricity. That's fine with me. The amount of, like, I got a week, uh, not a week long, a year long subscription to Movie Pass, and I have most definitely used all of that money. Uh, seeing movies before they started putting on these stupid little restrictions of like now you can only see a movie once in theaters and XYZ. Plus we've gotten to be part of the truly brilliant saga of movie pass up to this point. I think that, that this has been one of the most entertaining things in my life is just watching the what... slow decline well, of, and also just, of a company. Just watching them make terrible terrible business decisions at every possible turn. I am fascinated they bought a studio. Are they are they a distributor or do they buy a studio? They were a distributor. That being said, if you do want to be a sponsor, Movie Pass, we would love to have sponsors, and we do use we you, you all Pass. the time. We love you. Thanks to you, I got to see movies I never would have paid to go see in theaters, like Skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I didn't pay Wait, for that piece of shit. <laughs> I could not think of more than five minutes of interesting things to say about that movie. That is the movie that you almost fell asleep in, correct? Correct. I almost fell asleep during it. You're it's... getting so many insights, listeners, on our movie-going habits and experiences today. Yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who's wondering, I can't go see a movie in a theater with recliner seats. Yeah. Understandable. I always want to fall asleep. Even if I go in really excited for the movie, I want to fall asleep. Have you yet fallen asleep, though? I have. Okay. I fell asleep at Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find that Them. That is true. I have fallen asleep twice in those recliner seats. Both times because I make the mistake of thinking, oh, I can turn on my side and use my jacket as a blanket. I'll still watch this movie. I'm just going to be super comfy while I watch this movie. It's a trap, ladies and gentlemen. It's a trap. You will fall asleep. They're too comfortable. And speaking of traps, let's actually get to the movie that we were going to talk yes. about today. Yes. Uh, we are doing a bonus on-screen episode for Mission Impossible Fallout. Dun, 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 This is the, keep that going, I'll do the intro to it. This is the sixth installment in the Mission Impossible franchise, a franchise that started 22 years ago and is still continuing strong to this day. How long did you want me to keep vamping? That's fine with me. I can do it the entire episode if you want. <laughs> I'll just, every time I'm not speaking, I will go back to doing it because I cannot get enough. So yeah, let's dive into it. So this was a special request by you. I would yes. actually have not have thought to do an on-screen episode for this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and you you were the one who said you wanted to do it. So why? What, um, what's, what do you love about this franchise? Um, well, first off, I will say you've seen more of them than I have. So I am, I'm you seen all of them? I have not. I am a relatively recent convert to the Mission Possible franchise. Um, I saw the last one, uh, Rogue Nation, on kind of a whim uh, at one point because I, I think I had nothing else going on that day. And I uh, was very skeptical of it. because It was a total as, skyscraper experience. Be well, because as people who have listened to our Minority Report episode have learned, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise person. Not a cruise head. I'm not a cruise cruise controller. Not a cruise, no, cruise conductor. Cruise conductor. Okay, yeah, 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 you are totally a feral boy. Yes, I'm <laughs> very much more a feral boy. Um, so I, I was very skeptical going in, and you know what? Immediately fell in love, because I love big, dumb action movies. And actually, this isn't a really big, dumb action movie, but it is just, it is quality popcorn entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it's it is, ridiculously staged. I, I'm sure that we, we will get more into this, but I think that that what makes these action sequences stand out is that, like, I mean, Tom Cruise is a fucking maniac, first first of all. First. Yeah! He's a fucking maniac. He's a maniac! But he is a well-deployed maniac in this series. I think that they point his mania in the 
perfect direction. And you know what? You can really tell that, that, that these scenes where he's jumping out of planes and doing huge leaps and just basically running crazy, crazy amounts, you can tell that it's not a stunt double. Like, I think the quality shows that it's a stunt double and it's not on a green screen and that it is actually him. You can see his face. You can see the exertion. You can sense the very real danger, which we all knew going in that there, there was actual danger involved because he did injure himself in this movie. Yeah, he broke, um, like, what, he broke his foot during a shot yeah, that's yeah, used can, in the movie. Yeah, because... He's slowly deteriorating on film. He's ruining his body for this franchise. He and, killed himself and turned into a mummy for the mummy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I, I, I saw the trailer for this. It's an excellent trailer, first of all. I think that the trailer for this movie got me really, really hyped. And then the early reviews came out, and I was so psyched. Because I, I remember I loved Mad Max Fury Road, and the first reviews that came out of this movie were, were saying it's the best action movie since Fury Road. Um, <sighs> That's so a bold statement. It's a very, very bold statement, and I, I would be interested in talking to you about that, whether or not you think that that is an accurate statement, because I was very excited, and uh, spoiler alert, this movie completely lived up to my expectations. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. So what was your experience, Ian? I've tried not to talk to you about it too much since then. Yeah. But I, I loved it. So I have a weird uh, relationship with these movies. My mom took me to go see the second movie in theaters. It came out in the year 2000, so I was nine years old when it came out. Okay. And a big hallmark of this franchise is uh, mask work, <laughs> I guess you could yeah. say. Um, but characters wearing uh, faces of other characters. Uh, and yeah, I... I routinely forget that that's a thing in this series. We were just re-watching Rogue Nation the other day because you had not seen it. I had it. never seen Rogue Nation. And when it happened, I had not seen Rogue Nation in, in like a year. And I forgot until it, is it happened. It is jarring to watch them take a mask off. Because for the most part, it is it is relatively grounded action. Like, And the tech is pretty like... You could have that tech today. And yeah. then the masks come out and you're like, oh, magic is real. I forgot. It's basically yeah. the polyjuice potion. It really is because they, they get the actors who these people are impersonating to actually play them so it looks real and mm -hmm. everything like that. And then randomly at one point they'll just pull off a mask of them. And this happens very early in Mission Impossible 2. Okay. And I had is never... Is it not in the first one? It is in the first one, okay. I believe. Um, yeah, it is. It is. I've only seen the first one once. And I was fairly mm -hmm. young. I think I was like, you know, in middle school, 13, okay. 14. Because the mask uh, getting pulled off when Ethan Hunt pulls off the mask in Mission Impossible 2, which I think is like the cold open of that movie. Oh, okay. Um, I was so <laughs> unsettled. Because right, he's like impersonating a congressman or something. That, in the first movie. In the first one, yeah. yeah. Um, I was so unsettled by seeing that, that I made my mom leave the theater. What? I was so freaked out by it. You walked out of the theater? I was, I freaked out. I made my mother leave the theater. I was like, eight, like I said, I was like eight or nine years old and I was scared. Of sh I was it's scared so, shitless. It's so strange the things that fuck us up when we're children. Uh, the trailer, the trailer for Mars Attacks played before that live action, uh, Glenn Close, 101 Dalmatians when I went to go see it. Mm -hmm. And I got so freaked out that those little aliens were going to be in this theater that I made my mom leave that theater. God, and you watched so much fucked up stuff when you were a kid. I know. And I love horror movies. That's and so it's, it's weird. The little things that got to me. But, yeah. uh, anyway, <laughs> back to Mission Impossible. So I, that left a really bad taste in my mouth with this franchise for years until, um, I sat down and watched the first one, and then my this my mother loves this franchise, so I went back and rewatched them and started kind of seeing them all. And then once Mission Impossible Four Ghost Protocol came out, that's when I started seeing them all in theaters mm -hmm. because Brad Bird was directing it, and I love Brad Bird. Um, you know, flashback to the Incredibles episode. Um, yeah. He's a brilliant director, and I was really excited to see his first live-action movie, which was Ghost Protocol. And from there, loved that movie so much that I went back and rewatched um, Mission Impossible 3, and then I've been with it ever since. Until but somehow seeing... you had not seen Rogue Nation. I, I, I had which meant to. Which pretty much was universally agreed to be the best one so far. But you you were the one who brought this up like when you requested to do this episode, where you said to me verbatim, this is my Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I want to do an episode on this. And while I really have enjoyed the Mission Impossible movies, I've always gone to see them, enjoyed myself, and really never thought twice about them. Mm -hmm. But 
until these newer movies. I think these newer movies are really pushing this franchise into a stratosphere that they've never been before. Yeah. And I went back and I think the only ones of these movies I've seen more than once has been uh, Mission Impossible 3, which I, when I saw, fell in love with because of just how much I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And loved him in that really movie. Really elevates that material. God, he's fucking fantastic in that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's Philip I mean, Seymour Hoffman. I mean, yeah, jeez. But, um, yeah, and then I, I just missed Rogue Nation for some reason until we watched it the other night, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. It's a great story. It's like, which is something that these movies do not need to have and routinely have not had. Uh, which it's a really solid story. I'm following it from point A to point B. We get an incredible um, new character with Rebecca Ferguson's Ilsa. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, and I love her. They started doing with Ghost Protocol what I want, what I really love uh, that that has always been like a big trend in these, but I feel like they just started really relying upon it now, which is creating a team of characters. Yeah. Um, it's not so much just about Ethan. Yeah, and I mean, hell, J.J. Abrams kind of rebooted this whole franchise with Mission Impossible 3. Mm-hmm. And then with Rogue or with Ghost Protocol, we get the introduction of Benji, which was Simon Pegg's character. Great. Luther, uh, played by Ving Rhames. Who is really the glue that holds the entire franchise together? He's been there since the beginning. He's the only character that's been, I believe, in all of them. Except for Tom Cruise. Except for Tom Cruise, yes. Um... And I love Michelle Monaghan, even though, again, they just drastically underuse her. Michelle um, Monaghan is uh, one of the most underused actresses in Hollywood. We were saying, I want... Hollywood does wrong by her again and again. I want, like, a giant, big-budget action spy thriller with her and Judy Greer. Yeah. And Leslie Mann and <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. <laughs> I just want Tiffany Haddish and everything. Yeah. But, like, these actors that are, like... Guys, please... Greenlight that Ocean's Eight sequel. Yes. And fucking cast them, please. Yeah, I loved Ocean's Eight. Thought it was yeah. thought it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie really set the bar even higher for this franchise. There's, I think I was reading something. Um, They're really going for the stratosphere. They really are. It's, I mean, Tom Cruise has always been someone that really loves to do his own stunts and loves to. Oh, you you can't tell. Yeah. It's, the the fact that they uh, Christopher McGuire who directed Rogue Nation and Fallout, uh, the only repeat director, the only repeat director, and he goes to great lengths to do these long takes and these um, these tracking shots and and all of these huge stunt shots with these big set pieces with the camera very much focused on Tom Cruise's face. Yeah. So you get. This incredible rush, knowing that this is the actual actor. There's no stunt person. Yeah, that doing scene in Rogue stunts. Nation where he is taking off in the um the plane the oh, the cold open of Rogue the Nation. The cold, yeah, where he's holding onto the side of the plane while it while takes it's off. Taking off, and you can tell that that's real because and it's straight up on his face. Like you can tell that it's him, and it's not green screen. Yeah, the, and it really does add an extra bit of that thrill. Yeah, Do because you know there is a real life human that really did this. It makes it feel like, uh, kind of like we're watching a to-be-taken-seriously jackass. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's, it's where I think it, it kind of succeeds, where certain scenes in the most recent Fast and the Furious feel like they stretch credulity for me. I feel like there is a certain, like... You're saying that you think there are scenes in the Fast and the Furious episode 8, Fate of the Furious, that stretch credulity? No, I am saying that Fast and the, the most recent Fast and the Furious... They get a lot of credit for doing practical effects a lot, I think. Yes. Which is very, which is true. They do do a lot of practical effects, but I think that they the practical effects are a bit undermined by the cartoonishness of some of the other set pieces. I think there is a consistency in the groundedness of the stunts in Mission Impossible that gives me a little bit of an edge action-wise. I would I would agree with that. Just because it is a consistent. I think if you you want the credit for truly going like we did this, mm-hmm. it it like I think there is something that the Mission Impossible movies and as has been linked already to it the the Mad Max movie yeah. that I think just adds this extra thrill for me that just feels like I, I think that it is also like the Fast and the Furious can get so big that you kind of lose the characters in the mess of it, and I think that these movies never lose him being the centerpiece, him being the one in danger. Interesting, I I. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that one of the big things that they've learned, especially in the last four Fast and the Furious movies... Family. Which are all about family. 
are the fact that the characters are so strong and, and, and cartoonishly so. The characters in, in Mission Impossible feel more human than the cartoon characters that we're seeing in Fast and the Furious. No, I think what I mean is like sometimes in Fast and the Furious, I talk about this with superhero movies too. I think with Fast and the Furious, sometimes when people absorb hits and stuff like that, I think that because there's like these giant explosions going on, I don't know what the stakes are in terms of, like, what type of hit will incapacitate someone. Oh, what, sure. what is something that is going to kill them? What is something that, like, I don't know when someone absorbs a hit, like, was that bad or not? Yeah, I pe- feel like people, don't, people aren't allowed to show pain in as, Fast and Furious as much as, as much as, like, Tom Cruise is, like, indestructible in these movies, I still do feel pain, and I do feel him occasionally get tired. Yeah. And, so, and I do understand, like, oh, God, he is on the verge of death from this, you know? At the end of this movie, spoiler alert, there is, like, a, a scene at the end where the main action set piece is just, like, him and Henry Cavill just, like, staggering towards one thing together. It's... And just both trying to, like, pick themselves up off the floor to walk somewhere. Yeah, I think this movie exists, in, its action exists in a world between... Fast and the Furious, cartoony, huge practical set pieces, mm-hmm. and Jason Bourne, kind of like minimalist. Yeah, I think it lives right like, in that sweet spot. Right for me, in that sweet spot, which is which is just my particular sensibility. Sure, I think your sensibility does lean itself to more towards the Fast and the Furious, whereas I just personally get a thrill out of a little bit more of that grounding, and so it's like it lives right on that tightrope between yeah. the two that that just really makes me fucking jazz. You know, and I think it's just the difference between and I say this with all of the love in the world to my to my FF family, but it's the difference between I want to go see a big dumb action movie, mm-hmm. so I go see Fast and the Furious or I want to see a big action movie. Yeah. <laughs> Go see Mission Impossible. I think the Fast and the Furious movies, you kind of like laugh with them. Yeah. There, there is like a winking. There's the it. winking to it. Yeah, but you know. But it's, this is like, we want you to go on a journey. We want you to feel scared. And I do. Well, and and the, there are set pieces in this movie uh, specifically. We're getting into spoiler territory. If you have not seen the movie, please go see the movie. No, seriously, go see this movie. Welcome back for all of you who stayed. <laughs> We get huge set pieces like um, the motorcycle chase in Paris in this, where he is riding around and we're getting these incredible long takes of actual Tom Cruise riding this motorcycle through the streets of Paris. There are YouTube videos of them filming this exact sequence from multiple different angles, and that's also a really cool thing to watch. They show you like the full panoramic of him doing. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's so cool. It's incredible, and that uh, are like. So impressive that relate back to me the same feeling of kind of like rush that I had in, in the movie theater when I saw um, the seventh Fast and the Furious movie and watched them get dropped out of the plane in their cars with yeah. their um, uh, um, parachutes. Yes, yeah, which was and to have the actual practical effects of that. And there's a similar like shot they dropped in this. real fucking cars. There's a similar plot as the scene in this where he jumps out of a plane. Yes. Tom which Cruise is, apparently... Which was one of my top three favorite scenes in this movie. And was even cooler once you told me... A hun- apparently like 110 takes mm-hmm. to get that right. It's a single shot of him jumping out of a plane and then uh, they go through the clouds. Through a storm. Through a storm, Henry Cavill gets... Hit by lightning. Hit by lightning, <laughs> incapacitated, and Tom Cruise like has to like, fly over to him as they're in free fall and, like, save him in midair. Talk about a fallout. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and he apparently, Tom Cruise, trained for an entire year to perform that high-altitude jump. He's a fucking champion. Yeah, on, on the old IMDB page. He's a, he's a fucking maniac, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, I no, Personal I, politics aside, Tom Cruise is the fucking man in I these movies. I would argue... Like, personal stuff included. Like, I think that someone is, like, genuinely, like, like bonkers town as he is, is, like, has the perfect sensibility to do this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean bonkers in a very positive way in this regard, you know? Yeah, according to, uh, to the IMDb page, this movie had 3,000 uh, shot setups, 13 helicopters, six pregnancies over the course of filming, five hiatuses, four weeks of aerial photography... Three continents that they shot on, two full winters that they shot during, and one broken ankle. Only one. Goddamn Tom Cruise. It is amazing that he is not injured more. I think that is the most astounding thing. Yep. Is that, like, 
I wasn't even necessarily surprised that he got injured. I was just like, oh, it was only his ankle? Yep. That's so fucking... And if you watch the video, it, it is pretty pretty horrifying. And um, I would and say just as incredible as that is knowing that Rebecca Ferguson was pregnant for a lot of the she? filming of this. Really? She was seven months pregnant by the time they finished filming. She joined the Emily Blunt Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> filming like a ridiculously hard... like Her and uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah. Yeah, man, women are fucking champions. They are champions. I had no idea she was pregnant while filming this. For like reshoots or for the actual filming? Um, for the actual filming. Wow, because I know that in the case of Emily Blunt, she came back and was doing reshoots while she was pregnant, so she, they brought her stunt double in more often. That's crazy. Good for her, man. She's fucking. She's fucking great. I love me. Rebecca Ferguson. I love you. You. You're not listening to this, but. I hope you are, cause you're fan fucking tastic in these movies. I, I love her character. I truly adore her. Well, and what's so great? It's one of the best moves they could have ever made. They really could have, and I I got very scared near the end of this movie because there is a bit, and I think I'm reading too much into it because I've been trained to read too much into it by other action movies that there is a hint of romance between. Her and Ethan. And I just, I don't want there to be. I think that there's a beautiful level of respect that these two people have for each other. I completely understand that. And I really, I want it to just be this platonic thing. Especially because we get Michelle Monaghan back in this movie who plays Mm -hmm. um, uh, Ethan Hunt's wife or former wife. We now know she's uh, remarried to Wes Bentley. Truly the biggest twist of the movie was Wes fucking Bentley walking onto the screen. With a full beard. None of this Hunger Games bullshit. I had no idea he was going to show up and I was baffled. Yeah. Wes Bentley always is one of those actors I'm always happy to see in a movie. And then I remember that I've really never seen him do anything I've been crazy about. I'm always just like, hey, this guy. Peaked in American Beauty. Yeah, he really did. I mean, what a peak though. If you're going to peak with a movie. Yeah, may as well. Um, but yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. I also am, am fully team on board the let men and women be friends in movies. Um, and I, I feel like the kind of golden standard for me with that is is Fury Road yet again. I think we're going to keep coming back to that. It's kind of this like this gold standard of, of this like respect. And I think that I don't think you were reading too much into that. I think they are implying that. But I actually think, like, if they're going to go that direction, I think they're kind of doing it in the right way by letting it be this, like, very, very slow development, you know? I think it is more of a just, like, very close relationship that that is, that could eventually become something, but is not something right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it is, it is one of those where because they their lives are so kind of entwined, and because they're so similar as people, yeah. I think there is, a, there is just an intrinsic intimacy of being two of the only people that can understand each other. And I think that that's actually an interesting thing for me to explore the kind of boundaries of intimacy in that. I think it makes him more interesting. I, I would agree with that. I think having those and human ties... I don't think it diminishes ties, her. Well, and this goes back to the team aspect, yeah. which I think is a staple of, of old school, like really like nice grounded franchise work. Mm-hmm. Um, and is something that was not necessarily a huge part of Mission Impossible 3, but I mm-hmm. am going to give a little bit of credit to J.J. Abrams for that mm-hmm. because that's something that we see with a lot of his movies and with a lot of his television mm-hmm. shows with Lost. It's kind of all about the group mentality there and then obviously we've seen it in the new Star Wars movies and I think we've seen it the most successfully in his Star Trek oh, uh, yeah, franchise. absolutely. Um, which uh, is... I love those movies and I think He's are, got a really good brilliant. eye for creating ensembles and developing them in very interesting ways. Um I actually yeah. want to just one more thing about this like potential romance thing because I think it's it's interesting to I would like to compare it to another movie that came out recently that I think is is trying to do a very similar thing but is doing it very badly um, and I would like to <laughs> bring up and you know what I'm going to say before I say it uh, Justice League oh god the same way that they are trying to kind of test that boundary with Bruce and Diana uh, where I think they're trying to do a similar thing where they're trying to like allude to it potentially happening but they are not putting in the groundwork of having that mutual respect, having them work as teammates, and establishing them as similar people with similar goals who are compatible in any way. They are trying to jump right to the like, ooh, you like her. And I love that in this movie, there is a sense of that camaraderie, there is a sense of them being similar people and understanding each other, but there is never that joke about like, oh, but you like her. Because that's they wouldn't diminish that her character in that way. Because she is a person, and the way that she works in the team is more important. And also because they have bigger problems right now. 
Well, so we think that the, there are really two opposite ways of dealing with the same thing, one doing it really well and one doing it terribly. And Sweet Baby Ving Rhames has that incredible monologue in this movie with like mm-hmm. tears in his eyes mm-hmm. talking about how much Ethan means to him and mm-hmm. how much the team means to Ethan. And and, maybe, and how much Ilsa means to and Ethan. And that's kind of, and that felt to me less like a, oh, he likes you romantically and more felt like he views you as a member of this team too. I 100% agree with that. Because she has not had a team and is not, he's just, I think he's trying to establish like, people care about you. That matters too. Mm-hmm. Like, think about other people because we care about you. Yeah. We consider you a member of the team. He does too. I, I, I just think the team dynamic in this movie is one of the strongest things. We're going to get to, like, literally right now, we're going to jump into what our favorite set pieces were in this movie yeah. because oh, we've got to talk about it because they're all yeah. incredible. But that's been the thing that kind of... Uh, I can see myself coming back to this franchise again and again because of the that team dynamic mm-hmm. um, that we're getting with it these characters. It makes it just so rewatchable because you like hanging out with these people. Yes, and they, they have the quick, snappy dialogue, but it's not Whedon-esque. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a Marvel movie, which I feel like a lot of these movies are trying to... Kind of, like. And it's not an adversarial relationship. No. It is, it is genuinely people who work together well, who get annoyed at each other, but there is a warmth and a love there, which is just fun to watch. Just like Fast and the Furious, baby. <laughs> they are family. They are family. I love Simon Pegg in these movies, They are too. Groot. I love that he's like... He's the character that's like, I want to be out in the field more. And they're like protecting him, but like also helping him push his boundaries to like be more involved and pushing him a little bit past his limits, but also giving him support so that like he's never having to do it alone. Yeah. I think that's great. Simon Pegg actually getting a couple action scenes in this movie. Apparently trained so hard at the gym, he got an eight pack. He looks great. Looks great. He looks really good. (laughs) Yeah. Good for Simon Pegg. Good for you. Um, Real proud of you, man. Let's let's dive into set pieces because... Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll dive into one other thing that I want to talk about with you. Oh, please, please. Uh, I just want to talk about what your favorite set piece in this movie is. We get... Um, I'm trying to even think from the beginning. We have the like the big plutonium exchange. Yes. That we get. We have the huge bathroom brawl with Henry we have, Cavill. We have the fight in the club. We have the fight in the club. Where, like where, the, uh, where the girl, uh, the white widow, white like widow. pulls out the fucking the knife, knife and just like slashes people. I was in love. Yeah. Honestly, I felt, amazing I felt Easter like, egg as the daughter of Max, Vanessa Redgrave's character uh, from the first Mission giving Impossible. Giving off a very similar energy. Giving off a very similar energy. And also she was with, great. I wanted more of her. Also, I loved her. The back muscles on her. They like the first shot you see is just like her upper back in like this backless dress, and I was like, truly, I like in love. Yeah. I, I've never seen someone with more cut of her back muscles, and I was so jealous and so in love. I mean, t- jealousy. I mean. Tom Cruise is, is like, 56, 58, 57. 56, I think, yeah. I'm never going to do any of the shit that he does in this movie. No, none of us will. Even if someone was like, Ian, do you want to jump out of this plane? For We'll film it in one take. I would piss my pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we get the, we get those fights. We have the giant race through the streets of Paris. Mm -hmm. We have, um, the entire final, uh, set piece in Kashmir and the running sequence, the whole running sequence throughout London, where he then jumps to the the bottom of an elevator. Mm-hmm. Fucking great. The chase sequence to the Tate Modern and the heli- dueling helicopters. God, the dueling helicopters. And, um, then, the, and then the cli- the the, the cliffhanger. The, the cliffhanger, the literal cliffhanger where their two uh, helicopters are like falling between the two like ravines yeah. and they're just slowly falling down. Oh God, it's so great. Yeah, I mean... So the, great. Every... So many like iconic like moments in this movie. Well, and every single set piece works. Expertly, they are so well staged and so well shot. There is not a dud in the bunch. No, this movie checks in at 147 minutes. It's two and a half hours long, and uses every single frame to to entertain and to re- and to like tantalize its audience. It's we like we said we saw this at 9 a.m. this morning. Mm-hmm. Got out of the theater at like 11:30, and I was fucking exhausted. Yeah, it was like I felt like I ran a marathon. Yeah. And it was, I loved it. I love mm-hmm. when movies can do this. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, you feel the hits, you feel the punches. I'm getting ahead of myself. What, what was your favorite uh, set oh, piece gosh, in the movie? Oh gosh, this is so difficult. I feel like it's going to be one of those that changes tomorrow. Like, I'm trying to think of, of in the moment, I'm trying to think which one I was most excited as it was happening. 
Um, and I think in the moment I felt most excited for that final cliffhanger section. Mm-hmm. But I think the one that I'm going to go back and re-watch the most is the foot is the running sequence. I think I think just simple. It's so simple and so well done the sequence when Simon Pegg is like giving him directions and telling him which turns to take, but Simon Pegg is watching him on um only He's watching he's watching the tracker. He's sensor. watching the tracker which is only 2D, so he does not realize that Tom Cruise is on the top of buildings. And so he's just giving him like take a left and is getting very impatient with him and is just like and he realizes that he's he doesn't realize he's running through windows and there's the scene that's in the trailer that is amazing where he like throws the the chair through the window. Yeah. Simon Pegg's asking him why he's stopping. He's like, "I'm trying to jump through a window." Yeah, it's great. Plus it has the jump where he broke his ankle, which you know what? It it was worth it. Worth it. It was so worth it because the You got to suffer for your art. The cruise. way they, the way they built up to that movie, you just your my breath just stopped in my chest because I knew that moment was coming at some point in that sequence, but they they don't really build up to it. They don't do the classic thing where they show you the distance. It's just like, he's running, he's running, he's running, and he just goes. He doesn't even, like... Yeah, the camera him. follows him, and you realize after he's already jumped the what the decision that he has made is. It's a really, really smart uh, camera technique. Yeah, it, it doesn't let you have that moment of like, oh, is he going to make it because you see how far it is. You have that moment when he's halfway there. Yeah. And then it's too late, and so you have that feeling of, like, the rug's been pulled out from underneath you. Yeah. And and that is the shot that they use where he he broke his ankle, and then the shot where he pulls himself up and runs away is the shot from right after he broke his ankle because Tom Cruise apparently did not want to do it again. They used the actual shot of, like, him breaking his ankle, getting back up, and limping away because he knew that they had to get that shot and didn't want to do it a second time. You're a goddamn monster, cruise. Goddamn. What about you? What was your favorite? Um, I gotta go with the the motorcycle ch- uh, oh, chase yeah. through Paris. I'm I find I find it in all of these movies. It's always whatever the middle set pieces ends yeah. up being my my favorite one. Very it's smartly. The 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 entire set piece in the desert in Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. I remember so vividly with him scaling that giant building. Oh God. Um, yeah. And then the the scene at the the Vienna Opera in mm-hmm. Rogue Nation is my favorite section of that movie, yep. where, where we get our first major introduction to Ilsa. And then this scene in this movie, and it's Tom Cruise riding his motorcycle, um, and he's just he's just booking as fast as he can, going like upstream against the current of, of traffic that's going, mm-hmm. and Ilsa is kind of on his tail and is kind of mm-hmm. behind him. And he just keeps narrowly avoiding all of these cars. And you get the shot in the trailer, but after watching him narrowly escape and avoid collisions for about three or four minutes, he finally, when looking back, just gets rammed by a car and he just oh. falls immediately over. I've and seen that shot so many times from watching the trailer and it still just makes me viscerally Yeah, I was cringe. just like, oh shit. Like I, I jumped in my seat and I knew the shot was coming. You feel it. Like that's fucking good filmmaking. And yeah. these action scenes are among some of the most impressive I've ever seen in a movie. Yep. And it's it's really reassuring to know that like if I'm going to go to to a big summer blockbuster... You know, we're getting all of these comic book movies out, which are great. I like the comic book movies. We're getting new, you know, Star Wars movies out. I like the Star Wars movies. And I love the Fast and the Furious movies, obviously. But there's something that's really great about, like, if we're gonna pay to see this movie, that the recorded budget on this is $180 million. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna come see this $180 million movie, we are going to give you something you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Which is a great philosophy. Which is it, why I go to Summer Movie 4. Yeah, it's like, I'm... And it's no offense to, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I really enjoyed and I had a good time at, but there was no action scene in that movie that I was, like, marveled at. There is nothing... Pun intended. Yes. There is nothing in that movie that rivals the practical effects in Winter Soldier. No, no, God that's, no. That's why I still rank Winter Soldier as, as one of Marvel's best. Absolutely. Because those fight scenes are visceral, because you can tell that they were actually filmed with real people. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. What was the other point you wanted to get to? I would like to talk about something that we have not addressed thus far in the movie, uh, that I know that you have strong opinions about. <laughs> um, and I, I think you know... We're gonna go back to Justice League. <laughs> um, I think you know who I am speaking of. Yeah, so Henry the Cavill's in this movie. <laughs> so the, the human mustache, Henry Cavill is the in this movie. The mustache that crashed Warner Brothers. 
Um, I had not seen Henry Cavill in a lot of things before seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. I watched Justice League, which is fucking garbage. <laughs> you also saw Batman v Superman. I saw Batman v Superman, and yes, again, did you also see Man of Steel? No, I've never seen Man of Steel. Okay. Um, but those two movies, and again, those are two. It, it's uh, we're. I was asking Lauren this while we were watching Justice League the other night because we went to go see the 1989 Batman, and we wanted to see how Batman's kind of evolved, and so we watched Justice League. And it was like, great, what are the defining characteristics of Batman and Superman? And they're so ill-defined in that movie, and I was like, maybe it's the writing, maybe it's the directing, maybe it's, I don't know what it is. He's a fucking wet blanket on screen, and I think, and you know, I say this with a lot of trepidation, because he could blow on me and I would break a bone. He's yeah. so strong. And you're six foot five. And I'm, yeah, and I'm a giant, but I'm a very weak giant, and I liked soft things. But <laughs> I, I just think in terms of bringing personality to a character, and he is the the villain of this movie, one of the villains of this movie. Spoiler alert, in case you couldn't tell. Yeah, from the mustache that he fucking sports. And the scowl that he wears the entire time. But it seriously felt like the reason why he had a mustache was just to give his character something defining. I absolutely agree with that. There's nothing I, about him that I, I care about. I think if you about. shaved his face, he would officially be the most boring thing in the world. Well, and they have a bit, and they never I made good on it. I think he, he fights, fights well. I think he fights well. He does. He fights scene, very well. And he scene, looks great. The scene in the bathroom where they, where he and Tom Cruise are fighting the... John Lark. Yeah, John Lark. Um, I think is it was pretty close to a runner-up for my favorite scene. It's a great that, fight that scene. That is an exquisitely choreographed fight scene. In yeah. so many ways. I think in terms of just... That's up there with anything in Winter Soldier, Dude, it's, I think. It was amazing. It yeah. was truly... That's another one... All three of those fighters are fantastic. That's another one I'm going to go back and rewatch many, many times. I think that's honestly right up there with like some scenes in John Wick, which I think is some, oh. of, the, some of the best hand-to-hand yeah. gun-fu fighting you, you can get. Um, God love you, John Wick. Um, but I think that... Yeah, I, I think that he fights well and he has an imposing physical presence, but in terms of any type of... I think they minimize how, how bad it could be by not really letting him speak much <laughs> um, and letting him just kind of resort to a glower. Um, but I think this movie pointed out to me why he's such a bad Superman, which is that his performance in this seemed exactly the same as his performance as Superman. And, and Superman's those, supposed to be the beacon of hope. He's supposed to be the Captain America of that, that series, and I think if, if those two performances are similar, you have a problem. Yeah. You, you have a problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared of Superman. Um, I, I just watched Justice League the other day, and I was like, why is Superman so angry all the time? Dude, he... Even the times when he's supposed to be, like, talking to kids and be, like, the light of... He's so of annoyed! <laughs> he's so annoyed that kids have come over to give him a compliment. He's looking like, oh, when is this done? And people are talking about, like, oh, he's more human than all of us, and I was like, I've literally never seen a person more like an alien in my life. You know what, though? In his annoyance to kids, maybe that is the most human he is. Maybe, but I can't see Batman being any better. They were doing a bit with Henry Cavill in this movie, though, that I really wanted them to continue, where he keeps introducing himself to members of the team, and they're like, yeah, who gives a shit? I know. Whereas, like, I'm Walker, and Simon Pegg's like, uh, cool, can you shoot a gun? <laughs> like, you know. It's the it's the way that they try to introduce Scott Eastwood in literally every uh, movie that he's been in. I was gonna say the same thing. I was like, it's the way and that they like, try to introduce Scott Eastwood in Fate of the Furious. New and, guy, wet blanket. Yes. Oh, God. New white guy, who dis? And I, it's, I will, will say I would rather watch Henry Cavill than Scott Eastwood. But that's yeah. my personal preference. That's just because he's prettier. Yeah. I would, I st- I would say I Henry still, Cavill's prettier, so I'd take Henry Cavill. I would still rather take Army Hammer as this role. Fucking give me the ham, man. I Dude, love him. I would be so down to see Army Hammer as this because I think that, like, there are moments also, like, when, when Tom I want to see a ripped John Hand do it. Dude, when Tom Cruise, like, saved him in midair and went through all of that stuff and then they land down, he lands, like, perfectly and then does his, like, smarmy, like, oh, why do you look like shit? And I was like... God, if there was another actor who just actually could dial up being an asshole and being like charismatic, I would buy this be- this working because I think it would be funny and I think that's supposed to be funny. And I think someone like Army Hammer could pull off that like charm that actually is like there's that smile that has is like empty behind it. Yeah. That really works for him. Yeah. I think it's really using what makes what Army Hammer is good at well. Yeah, and I think I mean, fuck, we talked about this in the car ride. Uh, you know, 
give me Idris Elba, give me Mahershala Ali, give me, if you're really looking for a younger, super ripped person, so you're going to play up, like, the, the age gap between Tom Cruise and whoever this, you know, young mm-hmm. hotshot is, give me Michael B. Jordan, give yeah. me, like, uh, um, you know, give me an incredibly ripped Army Hammer or, um, um, you know, Literally any one of these actor actors from Game of Thrones or something like that. To get ripped. Like, yeah, like, there are so dude, many like other Kit people. Harrington. I don't give a shit. And knowing yeah. that, like, Christopher McGuire, like, uh, offered the, of this role to Henry Cavill via his Instagram. That's bonkers. It's like bullshit to me. And it's like one of those things where I'm, I watch him on screen and I'm, you know, maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe not. I have no idea who he is. I've never met him and neither have any of you. So, you know, but I just don't see, I think that, that I don't see the thing that I, that translates to me past like he's super good looking on I, yeah, screen. I think like that, at least the rock has charisma. Yeah. I, I told you this at lunch, but I think that, like, when when people talk about being mad that white dudes keep getting chances after chances in Hollywood and, like, coming back, I think that, to me, the problem is that it's just they're mediocre. Like, yeah! I think people would be less mad if the actors were good. A, big, a billion percent! I think, if the, I think if these guys who are getting cast again and again were actually good people would potentially be a little bit less angry. I know I would. Because yeah. I look at that and I'm just like, wow, this dude who has been bad in multiple things is getting more chances. Meanwhile, other people are getting one shot and if it's not the, a runaway success, their career is over. Yeah. You know? that They're just given chance after chance after chance. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Well, let's talk about something. I know you want to ask this question. We got a couple things to get to before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, but I do want to address the um, the Mad Max question in the room of mm-hmm. is this the best action movie since Mad Max? Is it on the same level as Mad Max Fury Road? Considering that was the last kind of huge action um, phenomena, it's, really. Yeah. So um, yeah, what do you what do you think? You know, I haven't really gone back and looked through the movies that have come out since then, but. In my gut, I would still put Mad Max above this. Mm-hmm. I really, really love Mad Max. It's one of my favorite movies of the decade. Um, but I think, in my opinion, I think it's the best movie. Si- I think it's the best action movie since. I would still. I would probably put John Wick too above oh, it. Oh, that's right. I think John Wick. I think John Wick is slightly similar, just because John Wick's on a smaller scale for me. Yeah. I think in ter- John Wick is incredibly good choreography, but in terms of just like sweeping. Sp- Spectacle. Mm-hmm. I think this is just kind of on a different level than John Wick. Sure. I mean, this is globe-trotting. I think like... they're doing different things. I think if you're talking about hand-to-hand combat in terms of, like... Well, if we're talking about practical effects and set pieces, that's really... Because, yeah. I mean, it's really one location pretty much for I'm talking Mad Max. In terms of spectacle, mm-hmm. I would say this is. I, th- I don't think that my jaw has dropped the way that it did in this at, something, at, a, at an action set piece since Mad Max. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I could see that. I could totally see that. I think Mad Max still wins out for me because oh, of for the sure. because of the added um, no, political Mad- repercussions of that movie. Mad Max reigns supreme. Let's yeah, get that, I mean, that Mad Max straight. is a, it's, it's going to take a lot for Mad Max to be dethroned in my eyes. Yeah, I also and I was talking to you about this earlier. If we were to rank these movies, these Mission Impossible movies. This would be my very, you know, number two with a bullet, but I, I liked Rogue Nation a little bit better than this. I like this slightly better than Rogue Nation, but that's potentially because I did not see Rogue Nation on a, a big screen. Yeah, well, neither did I, but yeah. I just, I loved, I loved it so much. I was like, I, mm-hmm. from minute one, I was like, oh, this is, I'm fucking here to play with this movie. Yeah. Um, and I think this is right up there with it. Well, it also could be because Rogue Nation starts with a bigger set piece. This one is a bit of a slow burn. It does break with formula a little bit. I, um, for me, it's the, it is the scope of a movie and it's it, it very much, um, like big finale syndrome. It's the reason why I like Two Towers better than Return of the King. Mm-hmm. It's why I like, um, you know, big reason why I like Empire more than Jedi. Mm-hmm. It's these like, once knowing we still have further and further that we can go, mm-hmm. but the story is still slightly contained. Yeah. And I liked the more contained story. Mm-hmm. This one is so, like, the threat is, like, is, you know, the annihilation of the world. It's another kind of world yeah. domination um, thing, which it's carrying over the Solomon Lane storyline from, from Rogue yeah. Nation. But there's something a little bit kind of cleaner and tidier 
about that movie. Yeah, I, I guess I do think of like it's the, more contained in Rogue Nation. No? I think of like one of the big climaxes of that movie is the scene where Simon Pegg is is strapped to the bomb. Yes, and that's that is obviously it's a bomb that's about to go off. But, but that's a, a personal. Very, it is a, it is at its core personal about Ilsa yeah. and yeah. and Benji. The climax of that movie becomes about the relationship as opposed to this movie where the climax of the movie is good guy versus bad guy. Yeah. And and is like giant set piece, yeah. which I loved. I, and I still mm-hmm. think this movie pulls it off better than, you know, any of the Marvel movies from mm-hmm. the past year or two. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's and, and super impressive. Yeah, and I would impressive. rank this movie even potentially higher in terms of action than Skyfall. Oh, yes. I yeah. would too. I would too. I think it keeps. I think and Skyfall, I think is pretty excellent, but I think this yeah. uh, this beats it for for me for and, my money. Yeah, in terms of spy thriller, I mean, yeah. of the last few years, I'm, I would and still I think go it definitely Casino Royale. Spectre. I see. I didn't even finish Spectre. Yeah, I. But yeah. I would watch Casino Royale any day of the week. Oh yeah, Casino Royale is great, but also Casino Royale is the John Wick type thing where it is a little bit smaller for me. Yeah, and I and it's all the better for it. Yeah. Um, great. Now I want to get into, uh, this is a little game that we decided to play, which is you are creating your own IMF team. IMF, of course, being the, mm-hmm. um, organization that Ethan Hunt and the rest of the Mission Impossible crew function under. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the leader of the group. The leader's a given. It is just you. Mm-hmm. You are the leader of your group. Mm-hmm. You also get a tech person such as Benji, Simon Pegg's character mm-hmm. from this movie. You get a muscle, such as Ilsa, Rebecca Ferguson's character in these mm-hmm. movies. You get a person on the inside, uh, like Brant, Jeremy Renner's character from these the movies. The more governmental official. Yeah, who is not in this movie because of scheduling conflicts with Marvel, I found yeah. out. Yeah. Um, you get a, an emotional support or the conscience and heart of the group, mm-hmm. Bing Rhames Luther in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you get a wild card. Mm-hmm. Which I guess Henry whoever's, Cavill, whoever's the guest in, in that movie, yeah, Henry Cavill, I guess kind of in this movie, yeah, um, whoever you personally would bring in, yeah. So let's start. Um, let's start with the. Your, Why don't you kick us off, Ian? Great, I'm gonna kick us off with uh, person on the inside. Mm-hmm. Your your Jeremy Renner for this movie. Great. Um, for me, my person on the inside, and again, this uh, follows no rules in terms of uh, it could be any movie. Ever. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be just spy movies. It could be any kind of character from any mm-hmm. of these movies. A person on the inside that plays along with the bureaucracy of the system, but it has an eye out for you and your little rogue team. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the one and only Professor McGonagall. Oh, solid. Yep. Solid, solid, solid. Love Professor McGonagall. She always has that wink. Mm-hmm. You know that she's in for it, but she's also got to play the rules. Mm-hmm. I love you, Professor McGonagall. All right, all right. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys will soon sense a theme on my team. Um, and so I'm going to first say that my person on the inside is General Organa. Oh, nice. I was going to, I was going to include her. Yep. I think she's great. I think she's got just the, like, she's perfect. I mean, you guys know. Yeah. There's nothing more I can say that she hasn't said already. She's great. She's level-headed. She knows what she's fucking doing. I feel like she'd get me out of it. Yep. Yeah, I was between McGonagall and Dr. Sadler from Jurassic Park. I was between uh, General Organa and Leslie Nope. <laughs> oh, man, that's a great one. Yeah, it depends on the mission. Depends on the mission. It depends uh, on the mission. And you can't have a mission without cool tech. So who is your tech person, Lauren? Mine is going to be Shuri from Black Panther. So good. Yeah. That's a good one. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Truly. I've got a, a and I, I love that choice. Man, She's got the best tech. I kind of want to reconsider mine now, but you I'm can't not. Steal I, mine, I no. can't steal Shuri. Um, I've got two backups if you want to steal one of those. No, Guys, listeners, I always have three choices on here. I really thought you were going to go with um, Ben Wishaw's Q. Uh, yeah, but Shuri just has better tech. I she love does. Ben Wishaw. I love Ben Wishaw, but also he didn't go with a theme. True. I was, uh, I was also considering Jimmy Neutron. Jimmy Neutron's great. I'm making a lateral move with my tech, so instead of uh, Benji, Simon Pegg's character in this, I'm going with Scotty, Simon Pegg's character from Star Trek. Nice! <laughs> I think call. he's great Good in call. it, and I think we need that humor. I like it. Um, all right, let's go with your, uh, your muscle. Okay. Who's the muscle of your group? Okay. Much like Rebecca Ferguson's Why don't you go first, because I'm still thinking. I'm still really, really, really troubled about this one. This was the first one that came to my mind. Okay, I have three people and I can't decide between them. Alright, well maybe I'll help you out by stealing one of them. Okay. My muscle mm-hmm. is Imperator Furiosa. That was my first choice yep. yet. Oh yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Give I'll me Charlize Theron from, from Mad okay, Max. Okay, well then for my team, 
I am going to to pick a similar character. I'm going to go also with Charlize Theron. I'm going to go Lorraine Broughton from well, Atomic, Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde, nice. One yeah. of the most badass women ever. John Wick was circling mine as well. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But if, have you guessed the theme of mine? It's just badass ladies. All ladies. Badass ladies. Because ladies get it fucking done. Yeah, yeah. All right, That's all a right, great one. go. Um, all right, let's go with... Um, your emotional support. My emotional support. Your emotional support. Who is the heart and soul of your team, Lauren? My heart and soul. Because I uh, When you're am, going too far down the dark I side, know, who's going to put you back I on know. the path? I am very insecure about my abilities as a leader. So I chose uh, someone who is a very strong leader and will always keep me right, and I trust that. So I chose Diana from Wonder Woman. Nice. Yep. I feel like she's, she's never going to lead me wrong. It's a good choice. I would follow her anywhere. That's a really good choice. Yeah, I feel like if I was down and out and I didn't know what was going on, she'd take the lead and she'd get us through it. All right. Wow. Yours? Oh, you're going to... I'm going to steal one that I don't think you're going to be happy about. Okay. My heart, my conscience, the person that will put me on the path of right, Mm -hmm. Paddington Bear. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Paddington. Paddington Bear. It was between Paddington and Sam Gamgee. Fucking stole my wild card, you bitch. Oh, really? Yeah. Paddington's your wild card? He's one of them. Okay, well, I then have, I guess... I have my choices. Okay, then go with your wild card. Who's your wild card? The person who, okay. you never know, they could save the day or they could leave you high and dry. Um, okay, okay. I'm trying to decide. I'm trying to decide between two. Uh, I think I am going to go with Jillian Holtzman from Ghostbusters. Nice! Yeah. Really cool choice. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. cool choice. Mm-hmm. I was also considering Anne Hathaway from Ocean's 8. <laughs> In case I ever need someone to be fucking fabulous. <laughs> In case we're ever doing like a heist scenario where I need someone to go in and be flashy and cause a distraction. That's a good choice. I can trust her. That's a good choice. Um, my wild card, um, uh, showing a little bit of love to a movie that I was not crazy about, uh, that came out earlier this year, but a part that I was crazy about with it, mm-hmm. I'm choosing Lando Calrissian. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all yeah. Right. Give it to me. Billy D or Donald. All right. Give me either one of them. I love it. I need someone cause my group is, is very much lacking in, uh, smooth talking charisma. Yes. You've got, we've got great people, but we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of like people that can just adapt to any situation. Yeah. And he's a goddamn chameleon. Yep. All right. That's our group. All right. We I'm got some happy cool groups. Mine. Yeah, I'm very happy with mine. Hopefully you played along at home. If you have, please remember to comment. Let us know who is on your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know what mission your team is doing. Uh, and please let us know any movies that you would like us to review. We've got a couple really fun ones coming at you soon. Uh, we're going to actually sit down and record a couple this weekend. So we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled episode releases uh, starting this Monday with the release of this mm-hmm. episode. You'll have a new episode every Monday leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were bad and did listen to this episode before you saw the movie... See the fucking movie. See the movie. And please, uh, we're going to start a new little poll. We're going to finish out the summer by doing a little bit of a big summer movie roundup, talking about our favorite big summer blockbusters Mm -hmm. that we saw and some of our least favorite big summer blockbusters that we saw. So if you have Mm -hmm. any that uh, we have not mentioned that you think we should go see and check out, please let us know. And remember to rate, review, subscribe, like us on Facebook, check us out on Instagram, check out our Tumblr. We're going to have a website coming for you soon. Remember to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform and enjoy seeing Mission Impossible Fallout.